Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kathleen Hicks. I direct the International Security Program here at CSIS, and I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, today's event is hosted by uh, Seth Jones. Dr. Seth Jones is our Harold Brown Chair here at CSIS. And together with Seth, I have the pleasure of welcoming Muriel uh, Dem. Rack, Rack, excuse me, um, who is the uh, Secretary General of the French government's Interministerial Committee for the Prevention of Delinquency and Radicalization. She pre previously served as France's Consul General in Istanbul, Turkey, and in senior positions within the French Ministry of Defense to include time at France's permanent delegation in NATO. Um, the CPDR recently released in February its National Prevent to Protect Plan which offers 16 measures to refocus France's policy of violent extremism prevention around five key themes, shielding individuals from radicalization, widening the detection and prevention network, understanding and preparing for developments in radicalization, training local stakeholders, and assessing practices and tailoring disengagement schemes. Um, just one quick reminder, we have an exit directly behind you in case there's a fire alarm. There's also an exit through the store to my left. Without further ado, I'm turning it over to Seth. And just give us a moment for the podium to move. Why don't we just get started? They'll, they'll pull it back in a second. Um, thank you very much for coming and welcome to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, one of the, the first question uh, that I have, and then we're gonna, just to be clear, the way we're gonna operate here is we're gonna do, um, we're gonna have a discussion up here, um, and then we'll open it up uh, sh sh about halfway through or so to uh, question and answer. So we'll start off with the dialogue, then we'll move to question and answer with the audience. Um, and just as a reminder, and I'll say this before we start, please make sure that you ask questions. This is not the time for a monologue. So if you have a very brief question, that's what we're uh, primarily um, interested in, and then we'll go from there. So thanks again for coming. The first question that I wanted to ask before we get into um, where you work and what some of the key products and findings you have, and I've got Prevent to Protect here, which I keep on my shelf uh, next Great. to me, is, uh, is how you became interested in the subject of countering extremism, radicalization, disengagement. You obviously spent time uh, at the, as a Consul General at Istanbul, but can you tell us a little bit about how you came into this business? Yes. Uh, Seth, thanks uh, uh, for having me today. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled um, and uh, uh, a bit scared. Uh, so I, <laughs> I expect you guys to, uh, um, uh, to be nice to me. We'll be uh, very I'll try nice. I'll my best to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, explain things uh, in a very candid way. Um, I've been um, in this position for three years and my earlier posting was as France's Consul General to Istanbul where uh, actually um, coming from a very, um, with a security background, I sort of expected my posting in Istanbul to um, concentrate on cultural economic uh, issues I didn't expect to uh, uh, deal with or um, jihadists uh, going to and back from theater. Uh, but this actually um, was uh, as of, you know, spring, uh, fall 2013, uh, as I took my 
job as Francis Consul General in Istanbul, uh, we found ourselves at the consulate in a, a situation where we had to deal with departures and, and returns, and actually most returns um, took place um, in the years uh, 2015 and 2016. Uh, at the time when I was Francis Consul General to And by Istanbul. return, so people understand here, you're talking about returning sorry, fighters. Returnees, uh, foreign fighters that would go through uh, Iraq and Syria through uh, and go back through Istanbul. Actually, the, the um, uh, border uh, that was still um, practicable uh, to Syria was the Turkish border and people could fly easily uh, from Western Europe uh, to um, Turkey through Atatürk uh, airport in uh, mainly in uh, uh, Istanbul and uh, uh, we would have departures on a daily basis uh, which uh, we had a very hard time um, impeaching because uh, a it was not very costly to travel to Istanbul and to it only it only took an identity card uh, for adults and for minors uh, even passports would stand for parental authorization to travel so very easy for uh, French. Uh, uh, would be uh, uh, jihadists to uh, uh, fly uh, through Istanbul and this is how I was personally confronted with uh, radicalization because I found myself uh, having to deal with uh, departures and returns through uh, uh, Istanbul with uh, young people um, that you know some of them would voluntarily uh, come to the consulate and ask for consular uh, protection. Um, and that, of course, uh, from a professional uh, perspective, um, imposed uh, action on us. Mm. And from a personal uh, perspective, it uh, uh, caused me to, uh, uh, you know, um, read and, and try and understand better uh, and you know things and this is how I was offered this this position now as uh, France's uh, 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 interagency uh, um, mission on the prevention of radicalization so let me let me take that transition and ask you I think it'd be helpful for people here to understand what the the interministerial committee that you oversee what it does what you have jurisdiction over, because we don't quite have a position along those, we probably should, but we don't have a position along those lines here. Some elements of the radicalization and countering radicalization and disengagement happen in various organizations in the US, a little bit in the Department of Homeland Security, a little bit in NCTC, a little bit in a few other places. But it'd be helpful for you to kind of describe um, what, what you do and what you oversee. Well, we do everything that's not, uh, we work with law enforcement agencies, of course, but uh, we do everything that's not law enforcement agencies. Um, everything that's not, uh, you know, uh, the, the fight against terrorism, uh, understood in broad terms as repression, uh, 
you know, uh, we do the uh, uh, preventive part on the three stages of prevention, where people uh, usually call primary prevention um, to the, 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 the broad, uh, broad audience. Uh, then secondary prevention is to zoos that are uh, considered to be vulnerable um, before they cross the bridge, we say. Um, and tertiary prevention is after they've crossed the bridge, so those that you know are identified and 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 you know convicted uh, after they've either turned to violence or participated into a terrorist conspiracy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's tertiary prevention, we say, also mm, known as disengagement, and certainly not, uh, I insist, as de-radicalization, which I believe is not workable. Well, let me get to that. Um, uh, I've noticed that the terminology is changing, n not just in France, but in other places in Europe. I mean, we've seen a shift from the term and the concept of de-radicalization to disengagement, which is, uh, which has been purposeful. Can you describe what what this shift has meant and what it means and and why why this is important? It's important um, to shift from de-radicalization to disengagement and prevention um, in terms of um, expectations. Uh, and um, probably, you know, uh, de-radicalization um, uh, as it was uh, understood in, uh, in France uh, probably raised higher expectations than uh, reasonably feasible. Um, I'm not a social scientist, um, but even in social science, science terms, I'm not sure that you can de-radicalize individuals like it's a software mm -hmm. uh, and you can reprogram individuals uh, like you, you would do with a, a, a software. Mm -hmm. um, so in political terms, probably raised uh, too much expectations and uh, practically, I'm not sure it's feasible. I think you can either prevent someone from turning to violence or um, uh, disengage and reaffiliate uh, individuals, uh, but de-radicalize someone in the sense that you would bring this person back, like uh, there's a reverse process. I am not convinced and I, I strongly recommend it to our authorities uh, that they should not uh, oversell. Um, our efforts uh, in terms of yes, we can de-radicalize uh, people. I know, I know. There's um, the French society um, had a lot of uh, uh, expectations that this will never happen again. You know what we went through, what we lived through after the Charlie Hebdo uh, and hyperkosher attacks, and then the, the 13th of November, 
and then Nice, and then and a number of other uh, uh, attacks. The, the plus jamais ça, never again, uh, as we say in French, um, mobilized the, the, the whole of society. But I think we need to turn this mobilization into realistic uh, expectations and operational uh, mobilization in terms of awareness, in terms of uh, encouraging positive counter messaging, rather than nourishing, you know, uh, unrealistic uh, expectations. So that's my point on the terminology. So how much, how much in that sense is it disengagement at least um, a step towards focusing on preventing people then from using violence? And that's what, that's what you can potentially work to do is make sure you can't de-radicalize someone, but you can work uh, and, and hope and create programs where at least they don't take that and turn to violence. Exactly, you can definitely, uh, and which we did, and we've been, it's been very much a trial and error process uh, with a lot of positive uh, results. We believe uh, uh, the identification of good practices, uh, but also some uh, errors. Uh, that we're learning from. Uh, what proved useful is um, uh, the development of um, active, proactive cooperation between law enforcement uh, agencies, uh, social workers and uh, uh, NGOs um, across the, the, the French territory. It's 2,600 people that are being uh, taken care of uh, with, and that's our second lessons learned, with a pluridisciplinary uh, uh, approach. So it takes uh, educational, uh, social um, approach. Uh, our third uh, lesson learned is that uh, the more we have uh, a mental health dimension as part of this pluridisciplinary approach, the better. Um, so we uh, uh, intend very much to uh, uh, further mobilize the mental health uh, community. Uh, we will be having next uh, week, actually, um, uh, a general assembly of uh, psychological and uh, psychiatric uh, experts together with practitioners, and it's going to be law enforcement people and people from the, the general prosecutor's uh, uh, office. Uh, also, it's going to be a big thing. Uh, with several hundred uh, uh, people, we intended to mobilize the mental health uh, professions uh, to help get them on board uh, of the prevention of radicalization because it is one of the uh, uh, lessons, uh, evidence from uh, field uh, assessment that uh, uh, the more we have a mental health dimension to the uh, m management, the handling of uh, uh, those young radicalized, uh, the better. Uh, fourth uh, lesson uh, learned, um, wherever uh, possible, uh, we uh, tend to work with religious uh, leaders. And I'm saying wherever possible because there is a crisis of legitimacy um, uh, amongst uh, young Muslims uh, with religious uh, leaders in France uh, that uh, are generally uh, affiliated to uh, uh, consular uh, countries, uh, you know, Algeria, uh, Turkey, and, and Morocco. 
which originally, uh, uh, you know, sent uh, imams uh, on the French territory because it's uh, the countries of origin of most uh, uh, Muslims. But more and more uh, young Muslims in France, they speak French. They expect their religious leaders to uh, uh, speak French and be fully integrated into the French uh, context, social, economic, cultural, political context. So uh, we need to, the, the thing is we are reaching out to those leaders that have legitimacy over uh, those uh, uh, young people. Would that be in the sense that they are francophone? <laughs> Uh, so this is part of President Macron's plans uh, for Islam. It's to encourage, you know, mm, the development of the training and and an Islam that is uh, recognized as part of France, but also recognizes uh, uh, French uh, language and, and and France as uh, you know mm, a whole. Um, so, fourth lesson would be uh, uh, working with uh, uh, religious uh, uh, leaders that also bring an added uh, uh, value. Um, that's for the prevention side, and as I said, we have 2,600 uh, people that are being taken care of, and we are trying to densify uh, this with the mental health and, uh, uh, if where possible, religious um, uh, reference, uh, of course, not operated by the state, but uh, um, um, encouraged. Um, uh, this is the prevention side. The disengagement side um, in, uh, in prisons um, is, has also proved uh, very difficult but we're also developing good practices also based on other countries' experience. So uh, one of the, I mean, there are a lot of questions that I wanted to get into, particularly on, on the um, uh, experience that, that you've had with prisons, um, the entire prevent to protect uh, national plan, which if you haven't taken a look at it is worth going through. I can give you the colored through. version if oh, you want. Oh, right, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> With the French colors. <laughs> I just got my notes in this one, so. Uh, <laughs> um, can you just take us back a little bit? Fr France, France has obviously experienced um, uh, history. If you go back to the 1990s, it's, it's got the GIA experience right. in Paris. It's got, um, more recently, we've seen an uptick in jihadist activity, starting with Charlie Hebdo, and then through the November uh, 2015 Bataclan and the incidents there and then in Nice and other, other places. Can you just talk for a second, and you touched on this briefly, but can you talk for a second what you've learned through that experience, both challenges and successes in how you've come uh, to your current views of disengagement? Um, how, how has that experience over the last couple of years uh, helped helped you come to where you've gone in the prevent to protect plan? Because there's a lot in here on the use of sports, there's education, there's women's issues. So how's this recent experience um, gotten you to where you are today? As I said, it was very much a, a, a trial and error process. Um, we learned uh, in pain uh, from uh, um, uh, the events uh, in France, I mean the, the 
plan um, insists on uh, developing detection in the in the in in business uh, that very much takes from uh, um, uh, one of the terrorist attacks uh, in southeastern France, where um, a, a worker uh, killed uh, his boss um, with jihadist uh, claims. Um, and uh, evidenced also by the Nice attack, uh, it comes out that uh, the, the martial arts, the combat uh, sports is a, um, a target uh, for radicalization. Mm -hmm. It comes out that uh, uh, those uh, sports um, are vulnerable to uh, uh, jihadist propaganda probably also vulnerable to some, you know, men that have a feeling of, of ambivalence in terms of their sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are targeting uh, sports, especially uh, uh, those combat uh, uh, disciplines, as an area for prevention. Uh, we organized uh, um, awareness uh, sessions uh, already uh, uh, last month, and we will be continuing. Um, this is very much, a, you know, a judo attempt to turn uh, a vulnerability into uh, uh, a leverage mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, prevention. So yes, uh, sadly, we've learned uh, from what we experimented, uh, both in terms of the events. Uh, and also we've learned from uh, what we tried, like for example, um, in, uh, uh, in our prisons, uh, we had an early uh, experience of uh, concentrating uh, radicalized inmates in specific uh, quarters. And uh, it came out uh, that uh, Daesh uh, instructed uh, uh, an inmate in uh, September 2016 uh, to, uh, uh, to kill uh, a penitentiary uh, uh, guard. Uh, fortunately, uh, I mean, it was a terrible attempt, but uh, it, uh, the, the guard uh, survived. Mm -hmm. uh, since this, uh, we retained the principle of uh, uh, separation uh, of radicalized uh, inmates, but with better trained uh, guards. Uh, we've better secured uh, the, the, the prisons, and uh, we also created more quarters uh, for radicalized uh, inmates across the French territory, so that uh, those prisons uh, around Paris are not the only ones uh, to have radicalized inmates. So again, I mean, we've learned uh, from uh, uh, our attempts, we've learned uh, even from our uh, mistakes and very much in a low-key uh, way, I think we've developing, we're developing uh, uh, good, practicing, uh, good practices and, and we're happy to uh, uh, share them with uh, partners and allies, which I'm, I'm doing in my, with my meetings in the administration here. One, one question, uh, and th this subject is obviously of intense interest in Washington at the moment, um, is radicalization in groups other than religious ones. So we, we obviously uh, are dealing with multiple bombs 
that are politically motivated this week in the United States. Uh, as I've looked at, at some of the um, radicalization in the United Kingdom, we've had attacks at Finsbury Park Mosque. We've had right. attacks against the, uh, Joe Cox, a member of parliament who was assassinated by a far-right extremist. So um, how much from your standpoint, and do you deal at all with, um, with extremism and radicalization other than just religious-based, uh, far-right, far-left-wing um, ethic? And, and more broadly, how much of a concern is that in France right now? It is a uh, it is a concern. Um, it's been a concern um, uh, since uh, um, uh, since uh, a long time. Uh, racism and uh, um, and and hate speech uh, was we've always been more uh, vigilant um, on on hate speech and and racism than uh, a lot of our allies. I mean, in France, uh, um, uh, freedom of expression, uh, expression is not uh, an absolute uh, uh, principle. If you say on the social uh, media or if you say publicly uh, uh, that uh, uh, we, need to, uh, um, we need to kill uh, blacks, or if you say black people or or monkeys, uh, you can go to uh, you can you can you know be brought to justice. Uh, there's a law for that, and we penalize uh, racism. Mm -hmm. um, the the more recent uh, phenomenon that we are worried about is um, polarization and interaction between um, Islamist radicalization that remains the core threat uh, and sadly, um, I mean, again, we've had uh, uh, 250 people uh, that were left dead uh, by Islamist terrorism, uh, but it's the connection between an interaction uh, or possible interactions between this Islamist radicalization and other forms of uh, radicalization, including far-right uh, radicalization, um, or internal security uh, services are very vigilant. Uh, they arrested last summer a group uh, called um, Action, the uh, uh, Force Operational Operational for, uh, Action Force, whatever, uh, that was uh, uh, planning uh, an attack on so-called, uh, I mean, radicalized Muslims mm -hmm. uh, in their views, uh, assuming that uh, government is not being, uh, you know, active enough to counter uh, radicalization and terrorism. So obviously, uh, far-right extremism uh, takes from uh, fears on Islamist uh, extremism. We also are facing far-left uh, radicalization. Uh, remember the black blocks on 1st of May in, uh, in Paris that showed uh, 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 violent action. We even are um, witnessing radicalization from vegans, mm -hmm. from vegan groups. Uh, butchers are being attacked uh, in, in, in France. 
and uh, part of the research, uh, independent research by social scientists that the French government has been uh, promoting uh, since the Charlie Hebdo attacks um, is now uh, giving results uh, and I very much recommend to those of you that know French a book by Olivier Galland and Anne Muxel. It's called uh, uh, Radical La Tentation Radicale, Radical Temptation. And it shows that uh, um, very worrying that teenagers um, now have a far uh, greater uh, tendency uh, to admit violence as a legiti way, legitimate way to express their views than uh, people in their 20s. Uh, it, it evidences that there's a higher proportion amongst teenagers for those with uh, Muslim backgrounds uh, to uh, see violence as a legitimate way to defend their views on respect due to religion, for example. Uh, but it shows that there are several grounds uh, for radicalization other than um, religion. Um, and uh, it shows also that uh, uh, they take a lot uh, of their religion, uh, relation to the world from the social media. Mm -hmm. um, and that's key, of course, that they're developing, um, they're, you know, they're, they're confusing opinions and, um, and, and, and journalism uh, and would assimilate, identify uh, what's been shared uh, amongst their um, communities, friends, family, whatever that would be identified with proper news uh, by you know mm, professional journalists and everything so obviously we need to be working on uh, the education to media and news uh, literacy you know uh, as of school and that's also part of the prevent to protect plan to be developing this uh, we are benefiting from the help of uh, french journalists uh, that go to uh, uh, high schools and explain what this is to be, uh, what it is to be a journalist, uh, how they work, and uh, um, and and we even have uh, teenagers to create their own conspiracy uh, videos uh, to illustrate how easy uh, it is to. Uh, 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 trap someone into a, a conspiration uh, theory. So, yes, the uh, uh, education uh, with respect to other forms of radicalization uh, that are um, nourished by uh, the, the, the internet and uh, the social media is key. How, how, how do you deal with, or how are you thinking about um, radicalization and disengagement issues happening in Europe but outside of France. And part of the reason I ask is if you look, say, at the November 2015 attack, some of that radicalization was happening, let's say, in Belgium, outside of, um, outside of Brussels, in Molenbeek. So they're, they're clearly, with, with Schengen and the ability to move across countries in Europe that are Schengen members, um, th that you, you and France are impacted by events and radicalization of whatever form happening throughout Europe. So how much progress has there been 
across Europe on dealing with the same sorts of issues that you are right now, or where, where are there potential challenges along those lines? Well, I was in Vienna uh, yesterday um, as we are under Austrian presidency of uh, uh, the EU and uh, uh, France and Germany have been very active in, in promoting the development of a European resource centre on the prevention of radicalization to pull uh, knowledge um, and, and, and good practices. Uh, so both on the research side but also on the practitioners uh, side. Um, the EU developed a, um, a radicalization awareness network, RAN, uh, which is doing good work and, uh, uh, and we're, we're um, definitely counting on, on, on them to uh, uh, provide insight. Um, same with the, 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 the judo that I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, if we are uh, to win this battle, we have to turn uh, what our uh, enemies would use as vulnerabilities into uh, uh, strengths. Mm. Um, so yes, there's, gonna be, uh, there's always going to be uh, uh, an easy way from France to Belgium. Uh, even at the time when we had borders, uh, people would cross the, the, the borders quite easily. I mean, Hitler did it uh, uh, easily. Uh, we should not uh, uh, expect walls to, uh, uh, you know, prevent us from uh, seriously from anything uh, of that sort. Uh, we have to use transborder. Uh, cooperation as a as a strength, and and we've been working at this for uh, two years now. Uh, by the end of this year, this European Resource Center on the Prevention of uh, Radicalization will be uh, um, installed, and we expect very much to uh, uh, mutualize uh, our resources. Uh, in this Prevent to Protect plan, we took a lot from the Danish uh, experimentation. We took a lot from the British, uh, ex I mean, we took a lot from the Danish experimentation in terms of uh, individual employee disciplinary uh, uh, follow-up of, um, uh, of uh, radicalized people. Uh, it's called the ARUS uh, experimentation. We took a lot from the British experience on uh, uh, counter-narrative. We also took a lot uh, from um, the, 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 the Germans uh, in terms of um, uh, the, the mobilization of families. Um, and uh, we are uh, interested in using the, the Belgian experimentation uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, using, um, you know, artists or uh, people that are uh, vocal on the public scene and identify themselves as uh, as Muslims as part of the uh, counter uh, messaging. And because the Belgians and, and and us we share the same language, we're definitely interested in what they're Good. doing. Good. Well, I'd like to open it up to. Uh, questions, and I also um, want to thank uh, Danica and Max and Clayton and Nick for their help in arranging all of this. Uh, so we have microphones. If you could raise your hand and then uh, uh, note who you are, and then remember, just keep it to a, uh, to a question. Back here. Okay, I'll open it up. 
My name's Dave Norman. I work for uh, the United States Department of Defense. And I was wondering, what does France, what is France looking for in a partnership with the United States? So the question is uh, uh, from someone from the Department of Defense. Uh, what, you can talk a little about U uh, U.S.-French cooperation. Um, it's a bit awkward uh, as uh, I'm still uh, expecting to meet other people in the administration <laughs> today. Uh, so it might be early to, uh, um, uh, to go public on uh, uh, what we've been discussing so far and uh, uh, what we will be discussing. <laughs> later on today. Um, briefly, um, I think we the French are very interested in uh, the national strategy um, uh, that uh, was issued uh, earlier this month, uh, of which you're very familiar with. Uh, <laughs> um, so we are very interested in, in you know, its uh, uh, implementation. Uh, we see every uh, benefit in um, uh, having further mobilization here in this country on the preventive part of things. While, of course, I'm not saying that technical and physical uh, dimensions are, are nothing, uh, quite to the contrary. Uh, but of course, uh, we're interested in the development of the more uh, preventive uh, response, especially where our countries are facing um, the development of a more endogenous, uh, is that an English word? Mm -hmm. um, uh, threat. Um, and we're happy to share our experience uh, with our American uh, allies. So we've identified concrete areas for uh, cooperation uh, so far, and uh, um, we will continue to, uh, um, uh, to do so. Also, uh, France and the, the US are, are, um, have common interest in helping third countries to develop uh, their own, you know, prevention of radicalization mechanisms uh, in areas of common uh, interest. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, we'll be discussing this as well. So one issue I know that's been of interest in the US and that's been an interest in France and an interest in, in other locations, including across Europe, is the issue of returnees, particularly right. family, family members, children, and wives of fighters, even if the fighters are either dead or stuck in SDF prison facilities in countries like Syria. How, how are you thinking about dealing with the returnees into France right now? Because they, they do, you know, they pose a, a mid to long term challenge uh, in making, in prevent, there's a prevention side of this uh, that's, that I think is quite important. Of course. Um, let me tell you directly um, having been confronted with um, a great deal of uh, uh, those returnees, uh, which of course. Uh, I mean, caused me to uh, be appointed in this position. Um, 
I don't think um, we should um, take it lightly, you know. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not just people that um, made well, a mistake and, and... Or one vacation somewhere. Right. Um, <laughs> um, I think we should take this uh, very seriously and um, uh, we have um, 261, I guess, that uh, uh, came back. Uh, we are working hard on uh, most are under judicial uh, control and, and jailed. Um, it's a huge challenge uh, for us to be uh, uh, conducting, um, you know, a proper uh, management uh, of those people in prison with, as I said, uh, a separation from other inmates uh, so that they don't uh, uh, exercise uh, proselytism, you know, on, uh, uh, on the rest of the inmates. Um, so the numbers, uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, are such uh, that uh, we are working on those that are here but we'll certainly not encourage their, their repatriation. We believe they should be uh, uh, judged uh, on theater. Um, we are um, uh, considering a, a reflection on uh, a case-by-case -case, uh, approach uh, for child returnees. Um, I myself am not in, char in charge of uh, the external side of things. I'm more in charge of the interagency uh, protocol to take care of those children who are both victims but over time uh, could prove uh, dangerous. Uh, so we have to consider them as both uh, you know, victims and child protection first and foremost, but we also have to protect the society and keep an eye on them with specific management, uh, medical and psychological uh, checkup uh, upon uh, their returns, and then long-term uh, management with uh, a mental health, of course, dimension to help them uh, integrate. So child uh, uh, returnees, we are very much uh, thinking of uh, a case-by-case case, uh, approach if uh, conditions are uh, met and it's very complicated because we have no consular uh, authorities of course uh, in Syria we have no diplomatic uh, representations um, and um, uh, you know if, if for some of those, the minors that, uh, uh, whose parents uh, managed to present them to consular authorities, uh, we managed to repatriate them. Um, but uh, we have to think ahead of what could be uh, uh, anticipated for uh, the rest of the uh, French contingent uh, on theater. The figures are big. I mean, uh, uh, we believe we have more than 500 minors on theater, mm -hmm. on the, I mean, the overall. Mostly in, in, in Syria. 
or most or in Syria. Okay. Uh, okay. Other questions? Right here. Hi, my name is Natalie Hicks. I do research on community contacts in these um, de-radicalization programs. What are you doing to address the community dissatisfaction with people who may be returning and how the communities may just reject them and encourage them to re-enter the, re the violent organizations? So this would be, these would be, what's the, how are you dealing with the French um, population's reaction to the returnees, which is, which can be quite significant. Right. Um, most returnees are under judicial control uh, and uh, a vast proportion are in jail. So there's uh, no interaction with the civilian so population. <laughs> that sort of a, uh, no, but I mean, uh, you know, the priority, um, uh, again, I mean, it's not like they went there just for a vacation or a semester off and uh, uh, came back and, and, and said, look, you know, that it was a mistake and uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back and uh, resuming my life the way it was uh, uh, earlier. Most of them, especially most of the people that stayed uh, after uh, summer uh, 2016 are people that were convinced. I mean, believe me, uh, uh, the, the border was practicable on the way back until summer uh, 2016. So, I mean, especially in the early years of uh, uh, 2012, 2013, uh, 2014, uh, those that, you know, uh, either had been forced or, you know, obviously uh, they, they, they meant to uh, be doing humanitarian uh, aid, uh, have returned immediately. Um, so we should not be naive on, uh, uh, on those people. A lot of them have uh, language elements that are uh, sort of prepared in advance that, uh, you know, this is not what they meant. And, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, now, um, ultimately, they will leave prisons, and uh, uh, we have to get prepared and uh, uh, start reinsertion uh, as of uh, jail, which is why we developed a pluridisciplinary approach in jail, uh, including with a mental health uh, dimension, because a lot of them have earlier psychological uh, problems. If you take women, for example, one of the specificities with France is that uh, we have a high proportion of women. Uh, we have 30% uh, more or less. And uh, amongst women, we have nearly half of converts. Mm. Amongst uh, women converts, we have a high proportion that went through uh, intra-family uh, abuse, uh, including sexual abuse. So that takes, of course, you know, specific care, and we need to be addressing this uh, in, in, in prison. So I take the point uh, that we need to address their reintegration, but after uh, we've uh, uh, dealt with them in, in, in prison and protected our society first. So how but are I mean, you protection of society also takes reinsertion. Yeah. How are you dealing with, even setting aside the um, question here was about the returnees, 
you also have this year, you've got those that have been, uh, that have finished their prison terms and are coming back into society. So how are you dealing with, with, with those that have radicalized, been involved in plots or even attacks and that are now being, now coming back into society? That, that also poses a big challenge as well. Yeah, um, it's still ahead of us. Um, it's a bit ahead of us, but uh, uh, we are getting prepared. It's going to be both uh, a security uh, uh, management or action plan against terrorism that was acted this summer, provides for um, the uh, creation of a specific task force um, within the Ministry of the Interior, uh, the Coordination Unit Against Terrorism, uh, UCLAT, uh, that anticipates um, uh, the situation of, uh, of prison uh, leavers. Uh, we also created a specific intelligence service uh, within our penitentiary uh, system. Um, it became uh, a, an intelligence service of its own. Uh, they, they are doing very, very good. Um, uh, in, in, in they've been doing very good in a few years, and uh, we will be uh, managing every situation one by one. Now we will also be taking care of the more social and reinsertion uh, situation of them, making sure that they have access to social rights. Um, access to health, uh, mental health uh, uh, follow-up. Uh, we know that uh, recidivism, uh, recidivism um, uh, specifically occurs in the six months after one has left uh, prison, so we'll be specifically uh, uh, vigilant. Uh, and of course, we'll, we'll do our best to mobilize uh, reinsert, professional reinsertion uh, experts in support of uh, uh, this uh, uh, specific mechanism. A bit ahead of us still, but a priority, of course. Okay, other questions? Right here. Wait, wait, can you hold up for a second just for the... Uh uh, Peter Slort, uh, Netherlands Embassy. Um, you explained why um, uh, you don't want to use the word de-radicalization, and I fully agree with, uh, with you that that is, you know, basically impossible. Um, and now you talk about disengagement. But is there any way that you can measure uh, your results? Because with changing, uh, you know, the method, um, you can, again, maybe raise expectations uh, that you can't uh, may, uh, fulfill. I think we'd rather lower uh, expectations. Um, very hard to say. Um, actually, probably the Netherlands uh, is a good example of a prevention system that developed early enough uh, to actively prevent uh, some uh, for, to actually prevent, uh, you know, individuals from turning to uh, uh, violence. Some would argue that uh, uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, your country was um, safe from uh, terrorist attacks. Others uh, argue that uh, your country was simply not uh, targeted as a priority. Uh, but I think the two can go together. Uh, 
it was not like there was massive, um, multiple massive attacks that were tried on the Netherlands, but at the same time, uh, the pond uh, to recruit uh, individuals probably uh, had been reduced by uh, uh, the prevention efforts. Uh, so I would turn back the question to my Dutch colleagues uh, to give measures, uh, a measurement of their mm, successes in uh, prevention efforts. Um, in our case, it's very, very early to say in measurable terms uh, what we were able to, uh, um, uh, to prevent. Uh, it's always difficult with prevention public policies, you know, in, on, on health, on education, on, in every field, to measure, you know, what if prevention policies had not been there. Very difficult to say. We are challenging with the same thing as recently reported uh, plots. I know. Yeah. For guys uh, with whom we had worked before and yeah. they turned uh, wrong again. So we have one, one here? Yeah. Just wait for the microphone. Thank you very much. I think this will be the last question. Sorry, we're just, <coughs> we want to keep you on schedule. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, my name is Barakat Lathi. I work for Egyptian Embassy. But actually, I'm sorry, Egyptian, Egyptian Embassy. Egyptian yeah. Embassy. Just take you back to the terminology thing. Uh, the, uh, now we can uh, mention in Syria, uh, we are hearing about uh, the terminology that uh, radical groups with transnational uh, agendas and the, the West uh, is tending to differentiate that with, um, uh, between that and the national or domestic radical groups. Actually, I mean, if we're talking about international cooperation and, and countering terrorism, I mean, we have to uh, come to an agreement on uh, certain terminology and we have, I mean, the international community should be uh, uh, like accepting all these terminology. I mean, I can remember, I mean, I, I just want your comment because when we started talking about Idlib, so the West, uh, fearing the uh, another uh, wave of refugees started to talk about this these different terminology and I can remember in the 80s we had this problem uh, because the West started to receive uh, the Arab Afghanis or or the terrorists in it from the Middle East and I think this is partly the problem that the Europeans are suffering from because this is the regeneration that created this wave of terrorists in Europe these days. Thank you very much. So, so, so just to be clear, what, what's, what's the question? Uh, the question is, uh, why are we the differentiating between uh, transnational uh, uh, groups, with, uh, groups with the transnational agendas and, with the, uh, uh, and the domestic groups or regional groups? This is the problem. Thank you. I'm not sure I, I, I really get it uh, where uh, you're heading um, at. Uh, in any case, uh, we have to um, admit, uh, at least uh, France, um, that we have been targeted by transnational groups, but at the same time that uh, those kids are ours. It's home ground terrorism. Um, you know, there are our kids 
uh, it's our society, it's our country. We have to, uh, uh, we are the actors of our own survival and uh, it's us as a whole of society uh, that have to uh, uh, develop a prevention approach, not pretend that this is only uh, coming from outside. Uh, this is interacting with our uh, society uh, issues. Um, and we have to mobilize the whole of society into uh, uh, a preventive uh, approach. Believe me, during my time in Istanbul, um, it really struck me how much those kids were French. Uh, I mean, most would come to the consulate and complain about the food there, uh, which is the Frenchest thing to say. Uh, you know, it's the French abroad would always say the food is terrible and nobody speaks French. And that was basically what they came with, you know, uh, uh, no, we're coming back, you know, the food was terrible and nobody spoke French. Um, so this is to say how much French they were. Um, which does not mean that they were not dangerous. And it's the whole thing about radicalization, is that we have to think uh, in en même temps, in at the same time uh, sort of uh, uh, terms, that you know, radicalization points out that victims can also be dangerous, uh, that those uh, that can be discriminated against can also be dangerous. Uh, that children uh, that are child returnees are victims and should be uh, protected as such, but could also uh, be dangerous for the rest of the society. Uh, so again, I mean very much in an interaction between uh, uh, external dimension and internal uh, dimension. It's a whole society prevention approach that we should be developing. Also with those uh, as part of our civil society that identify them, uh, themselves as, uh, as Muslims. And I know there's a lot of uh, uh, thinking uh, that, you know, of course, the French uh, were so sorry for them and we pity them, but at the same time, uh, uh, so complicated with their secularism. I know that there's a lot of prejudice on, on French secularism, and I really want to float that uh, um, this is a bit passé. I mean, uh, um, you know, French, uh, for those of you that uh, uh, know French, for example, I would strongly recommend. Uh, uh, reading like this book uh, by uh, a Muslim uh, sexologist. She's covered, uh, she's feminist, uh, she's Muslim, uh, she's 100% French, and uh, uh, she, she's really becoming someone interesting. Um, so for those, for those of you that are uh, French speaking, uh, I think it's of interest. Great. Well, we'll add it to the uh, reading list. My my list is yeah, already yeah, quite yeah. No, large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I was reading this actually. We just <laughs> met, and I was reading this in the in the plane, and uh, uh, I thought it's worth uh, showing. Well, uh, I I'm a big fan of the Revolutionary War in the United States, and Americans some sometimes tend to forget that the uh, it was actually the French that saved the United States in its earlier days against the British with the French Navy coming just south of here in uh, right. southern Virginia. So the, the roots run deep between the French and, and the Americans all the way back to the revolution. So thank you for, for coming. Thanks thank for sharing you. your insights on radical de-radicalization and disengagement. Thank you. And please come back. Thank you.